Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am Kyle Finch, and you're listening to Behind the Movement, and this is part two with Aaron Cantor, which we'll get to momentarily. I have just a couple of announcements. Um, This Sunday, I'm going to be facilitating alongside Roya Carreras at Perry Dance in New York City. It's our last Movement Conversations gathering. Uh, It's from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., The last four weeks have been incredible. If you're in New York, if you're anywhere nearby, we'd love to have you. And you can go to perrydance.com to sign up for that. Um, I also will be hitting the road in May to do a whole bunch of infinite play workshops that start in North America and go into Europe through August. The first three dates are in North America. They're the only ones in North America. Uh, May 14th and 15th. I'll be in Santa Fe, New Mexico on the 21st and the 22nd. I'll be in Long Island, New York. That's hosted by my friends at Locomotion New York. And then the 28th and the 29th of May, I'll be in Toronto. uh, And that event is hosted by the Spirit Loft. So I'm super excited about all those. Then there's the full calendar of events that go into Europe just after that. And I will talk about those more as I get closer to them. But if you want to sign up for them, you can just go to my website, kylefincham.com. I also made some custom, very awesome, infinite play ripstop gi pants. And we're just doing a limited run of them. And all the orders need to be in by April 11th because we will be doing one big bulk order and all the pants will go out simultaneously. If you want to order them, As of publishing this, you have four days. When you listen to it, it might be only three, two, or one day. But you can also go to my website, and there is a a tab for the shop, so you can order that stuff there. Those are my announcements. Uh, I'm not going to waste too much time. I want to get to this conversation with Aaron. Uh, I had him on a few weeks ago, and then after I published the last one, Aaron sent me a message and said that, you know, he hoped that we would talk again at some point. You know, there were some other ideas that were coming to mind. Um, He also added that he had some questions for me. And as I said the, the first time we spoke and when I published it, that no one had been recommended to me more by previous podcast guests than Aaron. So I thought to myself, well, if this is the person who has been the most recommended And we already had one very lovely conversation. Well, I should just have him back on immediately and we should do it again. And it didn't disappoint. It was very fascinating and and wonderful. We went some really incredible directions. I walked away feeling very full by the conversation. And um, yeah, again, like I said previously, felt like I've connected with someone who's a kindred spirit and I can't wait to to meet up with Aaron in person sometime soon. Yeah, I'm not going to read a bio or anything because uh, I did the bio on the first one, so we're just going to jump in right here. Please enjoy my second conversation with Aaron Cantor. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, man, it's, we get to do this again. It's amazing. And you know, so many people sent me such like nice messages after listening to the first one. 
Right. I got a bunch too. I got, I, like you said, I got texts. It was amazing. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Dialogue with some people. There's some really playful interactions. Like I don't know who they are. And it's just like, whoa, this is amazing. So it's great. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's a, you know, like it was so, uh, it was also interesting for you to be like, oh, I'd really love to do it again. And then when you added that you had questions for me, I was like, well, this is interesting too, because I mean, sometimes people have questions for me, but it very rarely do people enter with questions for me. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I found myself being really curious about like, not necessarily your work, but who you are. Right. And I think your work is an extension of that, but yeah, um, yeah I was really struck by how sweet and like easy it was to talk with you. And mm -hmm. um, I, I personally have a lot of like alpha competition, stuff you know and like none of that came up and it was really nice to just like be kind of entering into this like this this conversation with you so um, oh, that means a lot that means yeah. a lot. I've, well I've also had the uh sorry I'm looking for my water um I realize now I've sure. like you know I've gotten to do this 91 times so I've got like the uh the little extra That's practice right. there too yeah, when I, I had, I had. Yeah, and I'm um, actually super curious about that. Yeah. I had, when I had, when I had Tom on for the second time, I had for the 50th episode, I think he made some sort of joke being like, you know, I don't think I've talked to 50 people this year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. And you're talking to at least one person a week about that's kind of the. Yeah, I mean, uh, I put out one a week. So sometimes I do like two or three a week and then, you know, drip them, but it equals out to one a week. Yeah. I think I've only skipped a week or two here and there, maybe four times in the last two years. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and what was the thought process behind like starting this podcast? I'm, I'm kind of, mm -hmm. There are many reasons to do a podcast run, right? One is to put your work out there. Yeah. And one is to just like have a platform to talk to interesting people. I'm just curious about like where, where you were at, what, what was going through your mind as you were trying to create this? Well, there's a couple of things. One, it was never meant to be a podcast. It, 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 it happened in April of 2020 when everybody was locked down. Huh. And uh, a couple of things were going on. For me, uh, A, we had been locked down and I had, just decided to close my business, uh, which was the movement gym in Brooklyn. Um, right. And I had been doing online Sam, coaching. Sam Starr taught there, right? No, she stopped by a couple of times though. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but I had also been doing online coaching with Ido for about five years at that point. And okay. There was something about the lockdown that made me realize, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about other things. I want to explore other avenues with other people. And, you know, I've, there are things that I feel have been really interesting and beneficial. And then things that I'm like, oh, I, I, I want to know more about this other stuff, or I, I, I think there's something missing here. So I had also just begun like this transition in, in, in what I was going to practice. And I didn't really know where to, to go with it. Right. But I knew that there was this whole kind of world of movement people that I had never had access to um, on my own, by my own choosing, um, because there was something kind of uh, 
I don't know, maybe it felt like there was um, a loyalty barrier that I, I would be breaking or something. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I was like, well, I'm going to have Tom come on and do this live podcast, which was like a live forum where people could, could be on with me, like a town hall. And I would interview, I interviewed Tom and then opened it up to questions from other people. And then I put out the recording and I was like, oh, well, maybe this could be a way of doing a podcast. And I did that maybe for the first eight to 10 where I let people log on and watch. But then the dynamic of the, of the lockdown began to change and people were not going to be logging on as frequently or as uh, um, in a way that I could count on. So I was like, well, I think I'll just keep doing this and I'll interview people. But it began, it began as uh, an opportunity to be like, well, what else is out there? You know, what have, what, uh, I've been doing this one thing in this one way from one, one mountain for so long. Like, how do, I, how do I connect with all these other people who are doing interesting things? So it's more of like an investigation, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you were doing Edo stuff um, for five years. Yes. So my sense is you were probably doing planches, handstands, one-arm pull-ups. Yeah. A lot of good mobility drills. Yes. Um, nice. Some flows. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. at, at that time, was he incorporating any of the, um, like, body to body practices? A little bit. Yeah. We had started, you know, I think there was a time where there was some sort of incorporation of like uh, some of these, this like Russian boxing work. Um, uh-huh. that I thought was uh, fun and interesting. And to me, that was kind of like the kind of getting into that space that I thought was really valuable and, and an important place to be. And yeah, I, I mean, I got a, a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. You know, when I stopped doing it, we were doing like all sorts of like object manipulation and stuff like that. But it yeah. was, you know, I, I think what I found really you know and to bring it back to like finite and infinite games is uh there's a certain amount of playing within boundaries and not playing with boundaries and i think that that is where i was yeah and i I think some kind of things i really respect about yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i was just going to say one of the things i really respect about ito is how good he is at creating containers you know, creating boundaries, creating like, hey, I've organized this for you, do this. And within mm-hmm. that, there's freedom. And um, yeah, but I think that's absolutely right. Playing with the boundaries is, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's next level, but it's, it's, another, it's another kind of game, right? Yeah, it's like, it, I always say that it's just like, and I, I, always, I always have to kind of like preempt it by saying like, I'm super grateful. And it's not like a criticism of anything. It's more just like, I just got to this place where I was like, I'm looking for more of the life metaphor. Where's more of the, the, the point where we're living because the, 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 the improvisation piece was like not landing in that next layer that I, that I just, I thought might exist in, in some spaces or somewhere or something, you know, cause I was also doing jujitsu at the time. So I was like, well, there's something else, you know? You know, yeah. like they, 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 I always do now. I bring it up and I and I kind of ex, explain it as like the uh, our, our potential for this like whole body listening, 
right? Are, are right. more potential for, or for communication. Yeah. There's a, there's a book that I came across super early called when the body becomes all eyes. Mm. And um, it's essentially a book about Kaleri Paitu. And um, there's a saying in Kaleri Paitu, which is a South Indian martial art that, that the goal of the practice is when the body becomes all eyes. So mm. one perceptive integrated apparatus, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think Emerson even talks about like, you know, being a naked eyeball or something like that, a transparent eyeball that as, as, as that kind of the goal of his, his kind yeah. of spiritual practice. When I, when I, um, I spoke to, maybe I said this on our last talk, but I, I find myself coming back to it often because I think it distills it pretty nicely. I, when I spoke to Yosef Fusek from fighting monkey, he said something about like uh, seeing uh, and not just looking, listening yeah. and not just hearing and feeling and not just touching. And that's like what I mean, because I, I, I there's, there's, there's often this like overarching kind of individualist perspective, I think of like movement where it's like, it's for me and, and I do it because I, when there's to exist as you know, we you listen to uh, Stephen Jenkinson. Um, yeah, love to exist as a, a citizen. It involves another, and I I really think more and more about like, well, what are the two tools to participate in this world as a citizen? You know, how what are the tools to like play with the spaces and play with the people um, with respect to like the internal playness that's happening as well. Yeah. It's a good, like, you're actually posing a question, you know, so I'm kind of going into that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this part of me that's like, feels this kind of altruistic desire to serve mm-hmm. and be in the world and give and participate and be part of this whole community part of that feels really authentic. And then a part of that also feels kind of like a platitude. I don't know if, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm not feeling it. I kind of want to just like get laid a lot and mm-hmm. like eat good food. And like, you know, like and these, these two parts seem to be at war sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think I see that war at least a lot in the movement community, the movement community just being a microcosm of everything. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are people who come at movement from a, altruistic place people come at moving from a selfish place and often a mixture of these these worldviews it's like it's not it's not as clear cut as that um, yeah yeah i agree because it's uh it's also we, i guess we need to take into consideration like the the culture the surrounding culture that these things are like emerging from right and and so much of like when I, you know, in movement, you know, it's, it's at least the, like the kind of like maybe call it capital M movement, right. Is something that we see a lot in like the Western world. Right. And it's oftentimes it's a lot of people who are financially stable and, and maybe even financially well off um, because it's, it's expensive um, to, to get involved in. And, you know, there are certain, cultural building blocks of the Western world that are kind of built around a more individualist attitude, 
right? So that's why I think on the last talk I was saying, you know, in movement and in the things that I often see on Instagram, it's a lot of focus and celebration and, and, and such diligent work in an admirable way. And I know something about, I believe in the installation of, of discipline in some, in some degree as well, especially when we look at like where we're at in our chapters of life but it's so much of like strength, mobility or moves. And I think that those things are wonderful, but like out of the context of like life and living, I'm not sure, so sure what they mean, right? But if they're putting the context of like interacting with the world, which I always say is the things like being creative and adaptable and cooperative, those things maybe emerge in the same way and maybe they emerge in different ways, but unless I'm participating in learning how to be a citizen, I'm not so sure I know if this one arm chin up matters or not, unless I'm doing the life thing. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. Is that something you relate to? Yeah. I mean, I, well, a few things came up as you were talking. One is the, um, the value of discipline mm -hmm. and having a small container, the one arm chin up, whatever it is that, that, that kind of focus, mm -hmm. a specific goal, that's often measurable seems to create, at least in my experience, it creates a place to channel all the chaos, right? Mm -hmm. it, it creates a small purpose because sometimes big purpose is too much to handle. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm not also embedded in big purpose, I feel lost, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I can only do my, my one thing, focus on my one thing so much and kind of exclude the world, but somehow little whispers kind of creep in, like, dude, what are you doing? You're just mm -hmm. running away from like something. Mm -hmm. um, like, what's the meaning of this? So yeah, no, I, I can relate. And I guess one of the places I'm at, and I'm curious, like, what you think about this is I simultaneously feel that embodiment movement and play are the most important things in the world, like super, super valuable, hold the keys to making this world a better place to improving our interactions with the environment, improving our interactions with each other, world peace, you know, um, transformation of economy, transformation of education. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think they're worthless, right? It's, it's like, I, I hold these two things and they actually, it's not like, it feels like the, the belief that, oh my God, this is just frivolous. Mm -hmm. And this is the most important thing are equally powerful. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, like how you handle, I don't know if you, you have that experience, but like, what do you think about that? Yeah, sometimes um, maybe to bring it back to kind of like the the kind of techniques thing, right? And, and or the moves or the measurable things. It's like to me when when I felt those were all that mattered. That's when it felt like it didn't matter that much, right? Um, because all of those things weren't synonymous with being able to like play with life or dance with life, you know, all of those moves and 
all of those numbers and, and skills and things. Um, and I agree that it's this like authentic interaction with people and places and our ability to, to, to move in, in energy efficient ways and things that are like our magic, right? Like that's how we communicate with the world. So it's like, those are the things when I think like, oh, what, what really matters? That's the thing that matters. And maybe one or two of these other things kind of help facilitate supporting this thing. But this other piece is just kind of like filling a bank account just because when you die, you want to have this like boatload of cash that you don't do anything with. Right. Yeah. But, it, but I think it's, to me, it's like, well, how can the practice be built around listening and not just hearing? Right. You know, and that's why I think partner work is so beautiful. Like, you know, I've gotten the opportunity to work with dancers and work on like partnering and do jujitsu and, and, you know, collab doing everything outdoors, collaborating with different spaces, right? Some things that ask the senses to, to really come alive. And, you know, I'd say to people often talk about meaning and purpose, right? And I have no idea the answer to either one, but I do know that it probably, at least the feeling of purpose lies very close to um, what it's like when we have our, our hands in the dirt of life, as I describe it. Like when we're really, when we're, when we're, when we're authentically in the world, having the, the authentic interactions, there's, there's a meaningful feeling there. And it doesn't mean that it's an answer. Maybe it's just more questions, but there's something there. And I, and I don't think it's in the being alone in sanitized spaces, trying to collect things. Yeah. And there is something I'm, I'm realizing in the, the question of ultimate purpose mm -hmm. that's searching for a neat and packaged answer, which would sure. ultimately be awful. It would just be like, I don't actually want that, you know, and any answer I can come up that's a package isn't going to satisfy me. So there is something about the mystery of like, I don't know what the ultimate purpose is. However, it feels like play. It feels like improvisation and it feels like nurturing and caring. And it feels like growing food and eating nice meals and um, creating a safe space for children to grow up in like those are all things that feel like purpose appreciating tree and beauty and river <laughs> you know climbing mm -hmm. mountains and this like this thing that's happening here you know like right. being you know that's why there every once in a while someone will be like oh i'm ask when i invite them to be on the podcast and they say oh can i get a list of the questions first and i'm like well you know i'm i'm really interested in just having an authentic conversation yeah and you know it's it's that kind of moving through the world that i i find the most interesting i think when we spoke before i mentioned how much i, I admire bill murray for that reason you know absolutely like, how do i walk into the world and, and and participate with what's what's unfolding authentically not without forcing it seeing just like whatever it can be in in this in this moment, and I think it was something that we definitely see in a similar way, I think. 
for sure. I'm curious, do you have a Bill Murray story? Everyone has a Bill Murray story. Like, I, I don't I have this party and Bill Murray showed up and did the dishes. It's funny. No, the documentary is great, but a friend of mine has a Bill Murray story. Um, okay. a, a long ago friend who I haven't talk, spoken to in a long, 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 long time. But he was, in the, uh, he was in the village here in New York and he and his friend were smoking a joint and Bill Murray came up to him <laughs> and was, started talking to them and said, hey, can I, can I smoke some of that? And they're like, oh, of course. And now they're smoking a joint, having a conversation with Bill Murray. And at one point, Bill Murray's holding the joint and he looks at both of them and he says, you guys want to have a great story to tell? And they're like, well, this is already a great story, but let's make it better. <laughs> and he shoves both of them and takes off running down the street with the joint in his hand. And he turns around <laughs> and screams from a block away. Now you can tell everyone that Bill, Mor Bill Murray stole weed from you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the wow. thing. Like, to me, that's the thing. That's what I like. There are people who I watch when I see it and I'm like, oh, they're stealing weed. They're doing that thing. You know, like they're, yes. they're, 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 they're totally playing in that authentic way in the moment. It's not about the craziest move on the planet. It's about listening. Right. And, and maybe it's also about you... recognizing who they are. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't work if no one knows who you are, but there's a owning of my own status. Like people mm -hmm. know me mm -hmm. and no one's going to believe you. <laughs> Here we go. You know, mm -hmm. like that there's something in that that's so subversive. And like, right. It, there, there's, a, there's a deep awareness, right? A deep self-awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, well, and I think yeah. that for that, it's like, there's definitely like a, um, and I don't know about you, but I mean, there's, there have been times where I've gone through this, like, um, you know, uh, what's the word where you're kind of like questioning yourself because you're like, Oh, like when I look into the world of movement, there's all these amazing things that I know I can't do. You know, there's the, 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 the wealth of movements that I, that are not at my fingertips and maybe I'll never get to them and, and being, uh, uh, Oh, what ground do I have to stand on to be a, a movement teacher without these moves? Right. But it's actually coming to realize that like, well, you know, it's, it may be the imperfection in the, the, the inability to do those things that creates the space for the other things. Right. Like if I, for instance, had the capabilities uh, and, and the certain kind of strengths to really tackle certain kinds of acrobatics moves that I didn't spend time in and, you know, going backwards didn't scare me so much and things like that. Maybe I would have spent more time there. Um, but because I, those things were things I struggled with, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to look at other things to like fill in some of these gaps in my like wabi-sabi vase here, you know, like I'm going to paint these yeah, cracks yeah. in with like creativity and I'm going to paint these cracks in with, uh, you know, being willing to surprise myself and get lost and, and, and all of those things. And, and that was, you know, a product of a little bit of like celebrating the imperfection rather than like kind of beating, beating myself up for, for being quote imperfect on some of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a really nice analogy with music too. Often mm -hmm. the musicians we love the most are not technically the most proficient, although they might be at super high levels, but it's someone who plays with feeling and mm -hmm. in a sense, when I listen to someone I really love, I'm invited into a world, mm -hmm. their world. 
and the shape of their hand with the particular guitar that they're playing in that location is what's creating this like invitation into the reality of their world. And of course, mm-hmm. there's skill involved, but um, I've been finding myself more and more attracted to not so much skill, but the capacity to invite someone into my world or be invited into someone's world. And that's to me what happens in a, an interesting, alive interaction, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be kind of constructed or contrived through workshops and here's this game we're gonna play. Mm-hmm. Predictably we'll create portals into each other's worlds and it's wonderful. And it can happen spontaneously, it can happen through conversation, but yeah. This, this like, you have a wabi-sabi vase, I do too. Like, come check mine out. It's really cool in here. Like, look at that crack, right. you know? Like, and, then, and, then, and then being able to like- And that crack is there because- yeah, and then that, and then and, and then to be able to 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 comfortably walk into the lost world of somebody else's cracks or or another space's cracks, you know, and that's what I mean sometimes when I'm like, all of these moves and all of these numbers are not synonymous with the uh, ability to get lost comfortably, right? You know, or it's, or it, even it, with how much pleasure you feel in your mm-hmm. own body felt felt experience of being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I i it's it's yeah in some ways it's a it's 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 the mindset more than the moves that i find really fascinating and like what you know i think we made it really 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 far in you know the history of human existence without some of the really crazy things and the really big numbers, because maybe some of those things weren't terribly in air energy efficient, you know, like it's, it's, it's a real privilege, right. To train for six hours a day and do that much, you know, like strength training and all this stuff. I mean, that's energy that we need to refill and refuel and with whole foods and Trader Joe's and Amazon at our disposal, like we can do that. But that's not what we were doing in the past. I think that, you know, if we needed to lift something heavy in the past, I probably would have been like, Aaron, get a few people. We got to move this thing. I'm not going to lift this by myself, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I have something that I want to ask you because someone who listened to the podcast pointed out this idea of kind of like struggling with wanting to, with, with like getting paid to do this type of work. Yeah. And and this is something that I've struggled with and I'll, I'll explain my, ba- my feelings that I struggle with. And as somebody who asked to get paid, but also doesn't necessarily feel great about asking for a lot. I look at it and I realize that when you have something that in my case, I feel like is tied up with like values or philosophy and it's not just uh, the names and the moves. I realize I'm like, oh, well, this is actually what I wish for in the world. This is what I wish to see in people and in societies and in culture. So why would I only make it available to some people, right? And at any other point in history, it would never be a commodity. It would actually just be part of like the, the, the tribe's wisdom or something, right? That would be shared because everyone would realize that if everybody had it, the whole tribe su- succeeded or, or benefited in some way. So the idea to me is just the struggle with 
making something that I wish for everybody to have a commodity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's, I can do all sorts of mental gymnastics and come up with all sorts of rational reasons why I need to value myself and why people value things more when they pay, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes down to it, it's, I have that struggle as well. And like no real good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially like, what am I trying to impart or teach? It's kind of a way of being, right? And a way of being that I'm not always great at. It's a way of being, I'm like, I, I can't be the perfect example of it, right? So I can see like, uh, when I'm a perfectly enlightened being, and I'm always in a state of flow and play. Sure, I could have some dislike, <laughs> like, but even then, like, I don't know, somehow, I struggle with it, you know? One of the solutions I've come up with or tried to come up with in the past is trying to operate on a gift economy. Mm -hmm. So here's my thing, here's my offering. You're invited. You can give back however you want. You can leave a donation, you can babysit my kids, you can you know, cook me a meal or do nothing at all. Help someone else out, take this out into the world. those times were really fulfilling and I ended up exhausted and broke mm-hmm. um, <laughs> over like the course of a few years, you know? Um, yeah. I don't think I have any, any good. I'm not having any moments of clarity on this right now. That's all <laughs> like, right. Yeah, but I, but I, but it, but it's it's something that uh is 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 super real. Um, it's very real when it's when it's when it's not necessarily tied up in something being a commodity. Or, you know, I think moves can be commodities. Oh, you know, I'll teach you a muscle up. You can pay me for that, or I'll teach you, you know, these pieces of floor work, and you can pay me for that. But when it's like, oh, but you know, I have this these values that matter and they're actually tied up in what I present. Oh, wow. Now this is, this is a whole nother thing. Right. And I I guess as you're saying that, like people feel comfortable, I feel comfortable paying for an experience, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I'm going to go to this concert and have an experience. I want to support the people who are playing the music. Um, I'm not going to, you know, so, so I, I can see like, a workshop or entering into some kind of like movement practice led by somebody as something worth paying for. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. It's mm-hmm. a tricky one. And I, I just feel myself kind of bumping up against these edges of like, overwhelm. And confusion mm-hmm. when I when I try to articulate some of the problems I have with um, the commodification of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of turns into the, the the problem with the the, the professionalization of anything 
artistic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful to have professionals because the quality of what we get is it's immense and amazing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when professionalization is held as like the standard we should all be striving for, folk music dwindles, like game playing, like folk dance. There's all these, um, I love drawing, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember being a kid and looking at everyone else who was better at me and being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't draw because I don't draw as well as them. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just being enjoying, being someone who enjoys drawing, enjoys mm-hmm. my form of drawing. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think of, um, I watched this documentary uh, on HBO about Kenny G. <laughs> someone else was telling me about it and they said they loved it. I loved it. Um, and I thought it was so interesting because I don't know anything about, I didn't know smooth jazz. I didn't know about any of this. I had no idea the hatred of Kenny G. Um, yeah. And there was this really fascinating moment, you know, cause like so many of the people they're interviewing are these famous jazz critics and jazz teachers and you know, they have all these ideas about what Kenny G is doing and, you know, there's the hating on Kenny G, but there was this kind of climactic moment at some point, I don't know when, 20 years ago or 15 years ago in the hatred of Kenny G, the history of the hatred of Kenny G. Yeah, yeah. Or some very famous jazz musician uh, wrote this long, like open letter or something about Kenny G talking about how garbage he was talking about how he was ruining the art form and at one point said that what he was doing was sacrilegious. And it seems like it was almost a, like this kind of e-break polling moment with some of the critics being like, oh, hey, like we can not like what he does, but like right. we don't want to discourage people from adapting, changing, taking risks, surprising themselves or whatever. And this one guy, I forget what he's, if he's a professor or a critic, but he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, the sacrilegizing of art ruins it. Hmm. And I thought that that was fascinating in the idea that like, once you say how something has to be in any other way is wrong, we're ruining art because that's preventing people from like coloring outside of the lines. And we right. need that too. Right. And th- it's interesting with the Kenny G example, because I, I think a lot of the criticism was this isn't jazz. It's just, playing scales really fast mm-hmm. to sound like jazz. You know, there, there's something about it that's at least, it seemed formulaic and it seemed like jazz for mass consumption. Mm-hmm. Jazz for people who aren't willing to be uncomfortable with some of the sounds that they're hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, jazz for people who don't want dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, like muzak right instead of music Mm -hmm. that's that's one of the criticisms and at the same time like kenny g was wildly popular and super successful because people were buying his stuff Mm -hmm. people loved it not everybody not the critics right but there was a whole and who's to say that those people are wrong Mm -hmm. like that that gets into very elitist um just strange place um, mm-hmm. for me to judge that what you like isn't right. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. 
And I think it happens in movement as well. There can be kind of like the, the, a bit of that. And maybe I don't see it as much anymore, but there, there can, and I've felt, I felt myself being that critic, you know, at at different points of like the, the elitism of like what movement is or what, how it should be done, or that's not this thing, or that's not that thing. And, and over time, it's like, Hey, you know, like I keep saying, it's like, it's a soup, you know, it's an ecology, you know, and like the more things we have in there, like the more there is to kind of support everybody, if we're willing to, to be available for the conversations and the interactions with, with all the different things, as opposed to being like, everybody's on their own peak. Right. Yeah, the, the, what you're saying, the ecology is, is really interesting. Um, John Verveghi, I don't know if you're familiar with him, mm-hmm. but he talks about the, the, an ecology of practices that are needed you know, to help us awaken from a meaning crisis, which he kind of, his whole thing is like, we're in the midst of a meaning crisis. And um, one of the solutions to the meaning crisis, or one of the things that emerg- is emerging is the embodiment revolution, which I feel like we're a part of. Um, Rafe talks a lot about that as well. My friend Rafe, you know Rafe, you've interviewed him. Um, yeah, so what are, what are the ecologies of practices for you? Like what, what have you noticed? What patterns have you noticed in terms of valuable practices or, or mind sets, attitudes? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I think that again, I keep coming back to like, I, you know, what are the practices that like ask us to listen to, to, to explore our potential for our senses, right. Which is our way of communicating with the world. You know, I think that that's what I end up kind of bringing my most attention to. And that's why I feel drawn to like improvisational partner dancing. I feel drawn to jujitsu, but I love things like um, you know, I watch break dancers and I watch parkour athletes and all of these things, like they require that kind of deep listening, you know, that authentic interaction with that space and time and, and potentially people. And there's this beautiful kind of like hum and harmony and the distance between those things is not that far, you know? And while I do think the other things matter that ask us to, to, to kind of be in what you you described before as like the becoming phase. Um, I think that there's just so much time spent in becoming that we're, we're not asking our senses to participate and we, we, we experience this, um, you know, malnutrition of our kind of sensory experience. And we then lack the tools to, to, to communicate in, in more ways. Um, so yeah, I look at those things that like, well, what asks for us to improve that listening, you know? So I see that, I see it in like, you know, when I watch people do Tai Chi, for instance, I see this like exploration of like internal communication, the internal listening inside the body, you know? And I see it with these martial arts practice. I see it in play big times, like, you know, watching two dogs, I'm like, oh, well, that's, if you let go of the moves that are happening, there's the, the exploration of their ability to, to listen, 
you know? And I think that when I look at like an ecology that, that I play within or play with, it's like, well, where is that stuff happening? What about you? Um, so for a while, I was trying to kind of simplify or, or at least um, create little phrases that I could use to kind of remind me of what mattered. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the phrases was lead with listening. Mm. And I think that I can apply that almost anywhere, mm. you know, just lead with listening. Even if I have to lead, I can listen to what I want to, what needs to be, you know, so leading with listening is like a big um, principle. And I think there are a lot of practices that can um, facilitate that. One practice that I'm really enjoying right now is um, improv, mm -hmm. like acting improv, mm -hmm. long form improv, mm -hmm. and the, the principle of yes and. And I just heard an addition to that, yes and oh or ooh or wow so there's yes adding to it and also contributing the emotional content of the interaction mm -hmm. like really being yourself so that's mm -hmm. a beautiful practice i think it it's wonderful um there's a great book i for oh i need to i said it was just in my brain i read it when i was in like high school i think it's by del close who's like one of the you know real uh -huh. OGs of long form improv. Um, you know, I think people like Chris Farley studied with him. Um, oh, wow. Oh, the name of the book is on the tip of my tongue, but it's, it's all about long form improv, uh, like the Herald and everything. Um, I'll get the name and I'll, and I'll send it to you, but I'm sure if, if you look cool. it up, oh, it's called Truth and Comedy. That's what it is. Cool. I've heard of it. Yeah. And I've, I just heard of another book. I forget the author, but it's called Aerodynamics of Yes. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine is reading it. We had a long conversation about it yesterday. So, um, yeah. But it's also very, it's very finite and infinite games, right? To yes and. Absolutely. Right? That's to yeah. me like the dancing with life. I mean, that's like, if you're, and, and, and when I say dancing with life, I don't mean like choreographed dancing. That's like Google mapping with life. Um, right. But like the, uh, to really dance with like what's happening and being presented in front of you is, is to say yes. And, you know, your partner yeah. takes a step, you take a step and, and do something else, you know, like that's, but that's all of life. It's like, you know, the roots grow on a tree with kind of a yes. And attitude. They hit like, you know, the totally. roots are going through and they hit a piece of granite and they, and they can't go any further. So they say, yes, there's granite here. And I'm going to go down now. We're going down. We're going sideways, right? It, it creates branching and bifurcation. Mm -hmm. This kind of dendritic, web-like expansion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so listening practices for listening that I'm right now authentic, authentic movement. It's a practice that I, I was exposed to a long time ago. It's a su super simple structure of having a witness, having a mover. Mm -hmm. Generally, the mover has their eyes closed. Mm. Witness is just observing. And just as, as, a, um, as a mover, 
my instruction to myself when I do it is to listen to what's arising and to respond mm. in whatever way I wish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that a, a beautiful practice and having the, a witness who's actually holding space, amplifying my awareness of what's going on. And then the dialogue afterwards, I think that's a beautiful practice. Um, that's beautiful. I, 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 I've, I've done this before, but I didn't know that there was um, kind of a, a, a space or some sort of de- defined practice for it. Yeah, it's called authentic movement. Um, the structure can be played with a lot. There's a kind of lineage called authentic movement, and they've created beautiful principles around it. I tend to be very loose with the structure and play it within in different ways, but... Um, mm-hmm. It's funny you bring it up though. This is something that I just started doing on my own recently, quite a bit. Like uh, like in the park today, I did a whole song playing. Uh, it was actually Pearl Jam, the song Present Tense, which is a beautiful song. Um, nice, yeah. But yeah, out uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, on a basketball court in Brooklyn, um, eyes closed, um, playing mostly with gestures, but uh yeah, there is something when, you know, because our eyes are our, our, our dominant sense now. And they didn't used to be. There's a whole kind of history to that idea. But um, yeah. just this, there's so much information and it's so hard to kind of be with all the other senses when the eyes are taking things in, especially because we, we we're geared towards them being our domination. That when they go away, it's like, yeah, I don't know if you experience this, but it's like, oh, wow, like, I didn't know that the that volume there. of everything else turns way up. I turn mm-hmm. the volume of this piece down and oh man, mm-hmm. it's an eternity to shift from one foot to the other. It takes forever to fold, right? There's this like, ex- yeah. And I think that's a beautiful practice too, to shut down one of the, du- to create a constraint. Mm-hmm. I create a limitation. I'm limiting the input that I get from my eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular kind of freedom. I think ultimately I want to be able to have that sort of um, deeply felt sense of self and partake of the beautiful visual information I can take in as well without it being, um, I don't want to say dominant because it probably will still predominate. Our eyes are amazing. Colors great. Right. But mm-hmm. the sense of, of it not overwhelming other sources of information. Yeah. The, the reality is it's like so much of our world asks of our eyes. Yeah. I forget what it was. And particularly I, I, with literacy, right. With signs uh-huh. and labels. And it's just like, we're scanning for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Symbols. Phones, phones and apps. And it was just never, I think, uh, I forget what the book was that I read where it talked about this. Maybe it was this, this book, the eyes of the skin by Johanny Palasma, which is a, a book on architecture, but I think it's in the spirit of, like the poetics of space. And, oh, beautiful. and I think it was in that book Eyes where he, skin. yeah, I think Tom Wexler recommended it to me, but it was this really interesting idea that up until maybe the printing press or something, the, 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 our, our auditory system was our dominant sense. So it was really? ears, then it was touch, then it was sight. And then 
with the printing press and everything being like read and looked at and seen and then computers and televisions and all these, like the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. Um, And then all, you know, obviously we're like not hunting and things anymore. We're not trying to listen for predators and and such. Um, Because it would have been in the past, as I think he pointed out, it's like you would have heard something which would have led to your eyes looking, right? Now we lead with our eyes and it's not necessarily our ears signaling where the eyes go. But there's so many, you know, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm trying to make some sense of it because I feel like what makes sense to me about the theory, and again, like I'm just theorizing <laughs> about something I, I never mm-hmm. thoroughly looked into, but um, I think language is uniquely, well, I don't know about uniquely, language is amazing. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And before the printing press, most of our, intake of language was auditory or verbal, right? I heard the way I got information from person to person was through story, oral story and um, report that Uh came from mouth to mouth. um, And that's so significant because, you know, it's like the printing press, all of a sudden the stories were shared widely with books. So now the stories are shared with through the eyes rather than through the ears. Um, I wrote a piece about this and there's this tragedy to that too. And I know that you're interested in storytelling. So I want to hear so much about what you have to say about it because it's a topic I'm so fascinated in, but they, the idea that when, when we were sharing stories orally, that means they changed with the context, with the storyteller, with the emphasis. Um, So they were these like molding, evolving stories over time and there's something so kind of beautiful about that so that the stories kind of it's almost as if they maintained their like contextual value because they moved with things as they changed and then the printing press created this ability to share stories widely which is amazing all these people had access to them but that means the stories never changed they stayed exactly the same there's the the Brothers Grimm version of this one folktale, and it's now, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, like, they still change. That's the mm-hmm. thing, like, telling old stories. Like, I have some experience telling old stories in, in gatherings and retreats and um, workshops. And I love how they change based on who's listening. Um, one of my favorite storyteller kind of mentor figures is this guy, Martin Shaw. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard of him. And he talks about stories being, yeah, he's, if you can talk to him, Mm -hmm. I would love that. Mm -hmm. I want you to talk to him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's phenomenal. And he's an English guy lives, lives in the hills, does a lot of wilderness, um, rites of passage where people go off and fast for several days and, he welcomes them back. That's the structure of it, I think. But anyway, um, his, uh, he tells old stories. One of the ways he describes himself in his latest book or this book, Smoke Hole, I found so beautiful and I was actually really envious of it in a good way. He says, I'm a teacher of old stories and a guide into deep places. I was like, oh my God, if I could just be so clear about what I did in the world, <laughs> it would feel like such a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, he thinks of stories as a wild way of telling the truth, meaning a story doesn't take sides, a good story. And he also thinks of stories as being the intelligence of the earth speaking through us versus something that we concoct in our brains, you know, mm -hmm. to explain some psychological Freudian, Jungian thing. Mm -hmm. It's like the earth speaks to us through symbols and this is what's emerging collectively through many tongues. It gets pooled and now we have a myth or a fairy tale. Um, at least that's how I understand it, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't want to speak for him or, but, but I find that understanding to be quite um, non-reductionistic mm -hmm. and not as um, psychology-centered, which is really a relief as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, again, it's like a bringing it to a little bit of that Jenkinson kind of language, a bit like a little more welcoming of like mystery and wonder, right? Uh, as opposed yeah. to always having to reason and and kind of rationalize through everything um it's just impossible i think <laughs> you know and that's why stories right. to me are so beautiful because in some ways like it's the best we can do right you know okay. any sort of and I, when i say stories i almost mean it in the broadest sense like almost all forms of art are our best way of like articulating some of these things because everyone's having such unique experiences you know, as conscious beings in this way. Right. And, and the, the best way to get a glimpse of like your constellation is to like hear some version of your stories as opposed to like maybe you trying to reason through exactly what it is on, on the most kind of scientific or psychological level. Totally. I've found so, so much relief um, going through stories mm -hmm. and using the symbols of the stories. Mm -hmm rather than like, oh, I'm this way because, you know, my mom didn't pay that much attention to me when I had this crucial need for affirmation and she was too busy working and like, sure. Or, you know, there's this image of a wily old woman stepping up from behind an oak tree and presenting me with a little box saying, hey, everything you need is in this box but you can't open it up until you're 20 years old. And, you know, like there's, there's something in these like little, there's, there's a feeling in a lot of the images from the stories that um, don't need to be explained. They can just be felt and, and they serve something. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that that is, you know, maybe that's the thing that people kind of come to realize about like the Kenny G to bring it back to that a little bit is that like, there's something about the way he's kind of doing his storytelling that resonates with a lot of people. And that matters. Like it right. just matters. It matters if somehow there's something in there that's obviously nonviolent and, you know, not uh, dangerous. That's just like, well, it's meaningful for people. Like it's, 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 it's binding them, it's bringing them together. It's, it's answering questions 
without words or making people feel less alone. You know, um, mm. I think people come to, to feel very alone because like, whether we realize it or not, like we, we know that everybody is seeing the world so different, you know, and there can be like a real sense of loneliness and like this, these moments that like gather people in ways and, and make people kind of look at each other and be like, you too, you too. Oh my God. That's yeah. what, what, you know, these are amazing moments and they don't have to be explained. Right. You know, but it's very kind of us in the West to be like, and now let's explain exactly why that's happening. Totally. Yeah. I had a really powerful experience with, sto- I, w- I had been interested in stories for a long time, but I had never really told a story publicly mm-hmm. until I was in Switzerland teaching a workshop and I don't know why, but there were so many different people in the, in the class, right? There was this guy who was a professor of mathematics, this guy who worked at a juice bar, someone was a yoga teacher, someone was a bodybuilder, someone was just an accountant, right? There was these, these and all different ages, right? 60 year olds, 20 year olds. I was like, what am I gonna do with all these people? Um, I mean, I knew what I was gonna do, but I, I wanted to create a common language mm-hmm. for all of us. I think I wanted that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in, in like hindsight, right? In hindsight, I think that's kind of some of the intelligence, but I just felt inspired to tell a story. So I told this story about, um, essentially it's a lindworm story. It's about uh, this serpent, this serpent prince who eats, eats princesses until a brave woman agrees to marry him and essentially plays a game with him. I'll take off my dress if you take off one of the layers of your scales. He takes off a scale, she takes off one of the layers of her dresses, but she has like 12 12 dresses on top of one another. So bit by bit, he strips down to his like essential self with this, it's this pussy, oozy nerve ending of a worm. And then she bathes him Anyway, it's, it's a long, elaborate story, right? But um, I told this story and I, I realized there was these adults just like transfixed, you know, sitting like kindergartners, crisscross applesauce, just like mouth open, eyes glazed, dreaming. And then we had some dialogue about what symbols spoke to us about the story. Like what, what did we really, what were we fascinated by? What captured us? And it was so interesting to see here everyone was in a slightly different place and then we played games but when when i lead people through games often um we'll do a few minutes of game and then we'll have a a question you know like so what did you notice about your partner um and just in listening around the room i noticed that so many people were referring to the story it's like Uh. oh i felt like I felt like that woman who stepped out from behind the tree. I felt like the prince who rode off to find his future, but kept being blocked by the serpent saying, older brothers marry first, you know, I felt like this. So it's like, it was amazing to have that, that common language. And it took like 10 minutes, right? But now diverse group of people are speaking in a symbolic language that they all share. Mm. Um, Yeah. It's beautiful. Like it's like a way of, um, kind of creating the world 
Essentially, yeah, or creating a world, right? It's not the world, but it's, yeah. it's the, the microcosm we're choosing to inhabit right now. Um, yes, yeah. yes. That's, I mean, that's one of, that's a really difficult thing to do. And I've taken a lot of workshops and I've taken a lot of classes and now like being in this position where I get to go out and, and present my thing that I, you know, try not to call a workshop, but it's the only word that we seem to use regularly to like define these things and, and play shop almost sounds too like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not still not the right word, but I know the power of not just presenting things that you think matter, but also every once in a while creating a world that people get to enter and be in that world for a long time and explore it in all, in all their own ways. And sometimes with other people, like, you know, when you create the world and people can kind of wander around and turn over rocks and look behind the trees and like, you know, observe the clouds in that world. Um, there's something amazing when like, you know, whatever period the two days ends and people walk out of the world, when you do some sort of like exit of the world and yeah. you see eyes change, you see the kind of like, oh, oh, we're back now. Oh, we just like, you know, we just walked through the Stargate. Right. And it's a magical thing to be able to have those moments and learn more and more about the power of the world and not just the power of, great content mm. yeah. you know like the great content is like here you have to be with me all the time for me to hand you the things the world is like oh well now you can go in and look around and we just we're just there together yeah yeah i mean that's the kind of um i guess that's the kind of skill i'm interested in developing more of mm -hmm. as a facilitator teacher and just as a artist human, you know, mm -hmm. um, liver of life, this, this ability to create an opening, to enter it, mm -hmm. enter the world, and also to step out of that world and close, right? That's, that seems to be an equally important skill. Um, beginnings and endings, openings and closings. Mm -hmm. um, Have you read The Art of Gathering? No, uh, it's a it's a nice book by Priya Parker. Okay, um, I I think it's really nice. I I forget a number of people definitely recommended it to me, but she talks a little bit about this about beginnings and endings and and the importance of like creating that like ending because some things can almost be so good that people want to like hold on to it and keep it going, and that it's okay for it right. to be like and now now we close the book. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. now you can go be with it a little bit, but it's like, and I think especially with maybe the things that we want to present, it's almost like, let's go into the world and not think and just explore. Let's go into being land and then right. we'll walk out together and we can go into like the, the more ref deeply reflective thing or, or whatever happens after that. Right. Or, I mean, for me, like what I realized is like, in a sense, at least this is true for me, it's like, most of the time I feel touch, movement, interaction, intensity deprived, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, there's few places where I get it. Sometimes I'm working hard, I get it. Sometimes I'm practicing 
martial art, I get it, whatever, sex, dance. There's so many beautiful places to get it, but I want more, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and when I gather a group of people and we start playing, I feel that collectively We're like, oh my God, this is what community should feel like. This is what friendship is like. This is great. And it's strange because it's happening in a relatively contrived space with a leader, right? I'm gonna present a structure. The structure is useful. Here's some games. I'm leading us through it. I'm ending it, beginning a new game, adding questions. Um, and then when that's over, you're just left with these people you've had these amazing, maybe deep interactions with. Uh, and now you're just hanging out like friends. And that's kind of what I want, but somehow having a close where it's like, okay, class is officially over. And I brought a whole bunch of grapes. Talk, eat, I'm gonna go for a swim, you know, like. <laughs> So just, just naming that a transition is happening. This is no longer facilitated space. Um, mm -hmm. Seems to be a good, a good way. Yeah, because it's addictive. It's addictive to keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think of uh, the, the show, uh, How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> and, the, and one of the famous <laughs> lines was, nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. And like, yeah. Eventually 2 a.m. hits and we got to get out of here because nothing good's going to happen. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Knowing, knowing when to leave wanting more versus to be full to the brim, you know, like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. full yeah. overflowing and like having a digestion. Yeah. 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 Well, and also like, you know, because eventually everybody does have to disperse. Right. And it's so being like, oh, we got to hold on. We're trying to hold on to this. I remember like sleepovers when I was a kid that were just so good when like the next morning would come around. It's like, no, but we got to keep going because like this, this magical thing that's happening has to keep happening. Um, right. And then eventually it's like, you're trying to force the thing, like the pillow fights or you're trying to keep doing them, but like, they don't feel the same. You're just like forcing it to happen because it was so much fun yeah. yesterday. And totally. And in some ways the parents showing up and taking you away is like, Oh, like that's what had to happen as, as, as tragic as it was. But now I, I have great stories to go tell and, and, you know, ideas for games for other people. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah there's something so like, as you're saying that there's something so sad about it, you know, like yeah. it has to end, but the fact that I feel sad that it's ending is actually, um, it evidences how special the moment was mm -hmm. um, obviously it makes me think of death and like you know the sense of like our precious human life we're only here for a short while i mean stephen jenkinson talks he's just all about hey we're not here forever we are going to die we're not here forever we are going to die mm -hmm. and often i think in the movement world we're participating in some kind of cult of immortality there, there yeah. is some sense of like, I'm never going to age, you know, I'm going to replace all the hormones. I'm going to keep my joints strong, like, you know, testosterone, tip top, whatever, whatever the pathway is, there's this sense that if I do the right kind of movement, eat the right kind of food, do the right kind of practices, I will never die. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, it gives this, um, and I think a lot of these things, I mean, fitness is a real perpetrator, but movement plays to it as well as like this, this illusion of control, right? That, yes. that we're not headed towards the, the end here, right? And, and it's, uh, it can be slippery and I don't know the answer, but I ask myself often, I'm like, oh, like, what does the practice look like if I'm, if I'm interested in aging, if I'm interested in aging gracefully, if I'm excited about aging, or if I'm excited about aging and then dying, what does it look like to practice that way as opposed to being like, I'm trying to avoid aging? You know, it, right. it, it, it can look, you know, it can look like two very different things and maybe in some moments very similar, but, you know, I, I, I am interested in that thing. And it doesn't mean not taking care of yourself because you're like, well, I'm going to die. But it's like, right. oh, exactly. but what if you're aging and you want to um, be somebody who can share stories and share ideas to support your community and your culture as you, as you age? Whoa, well, how do you practice that, right? What are the choices you make? Like, what do you, again, I keep always come back, well, what do you want to see in the world? Well, how do you practice that? You know, because so much in fitness is about aesthetics and so much in movement is, like you said, it's about like, I don't know, maybe it plays fully into like the denial of death. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's one of the shadows, right? It's not, it's not explicitly spoken, but I think one of the major motivators to enter mm-hmm. is a fear of death for a lot of people. It definitely was for me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I can pay lip service to the unknown and, oh, I love mysteries. I love not knowing. I love being surprised. Well, your body's going to surprise you somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, and death is going to come and we don't know what's at the other side. So there's like this, this thing that we're, I'm terrified of. Um, I don't want to be terrified of it. There's moments where I can find peace, but like, I really don't know. I'm fucking scared. I'm scared mm-hmm. of getting old. I'm scared of losing the abilities that I hold so dear. Um, but somehow I think play has a, Play is a beautiful way to um, play with the unknown, (laughs) to encounter the unknown um, without being overwhelmed by it. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's something about, um, I'm just kind of working this out as I speak, right? But there's, there's something about holding death very close Mm -hmm. (laughs) that seems to make um, that seems to add a lot of meaning and preciousness to this moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and play may be a good way to prepare for death never thought of it in those terms but um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree because at the very least it, it has the potential to um, facilitate the understanding that we're, we're not in as much control as we think we are, you know, yeah. and at the very most it can facilitate the potential for that, that deep feeling of aliveness, right? 
and maybe when we feel that kind of aliveness, right? We have, uh, I don't know, more tools, maybe more options for looking at, looking at things in that broader scope, right? And, you know, that comes from interacting, you know, like the, yeah. I always say the more information we have, the better predictions we can make. So playing is the, is the, uh, playing is the time where we get information that we can't talk about. But it might mean that we have uh, more tools for making predictions that we probably can't talk about either. interesting when uh, we get to places where we're talking about what we can't talk about. I think the appropriate response is silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But I think, I, I, I think that, that, I mean, to bring it back to movement, I think that the, one of the tragedies is that we feel like we, we, we should only be practicing the things that we can talk about. Mm, yes. When um, I would say I'm a gigantic advocate for going out and learning things that you can't talk about. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, me too. Me too. And I feel like I always have been. And just recently, I am um, learning that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's true with a lot of people. I think there's a sense of like, there's so much that I can't talk about that's deeply, deeply meaningful, valuable, important, and core to who I am. Mm-hmm. But I'll keep that secret and just reveal what I can talk about. Um, and there's something nice about the, it's almost like what you can't talk about is in darkness. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing that's underground. It's the thing that's invisible, the thing that cannot be spoken. And um, to allow there to be a hidden, secret, dark, underground place in you. I'm not even talking about the shadow. I'm just talking about like a private inner space, mm-hmm. <laughs> distinct and separate, not necessarily separate, but just a private inner space. That's not the space of commerce. It's not the space of exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So being able to kind of cultivate that place through practice seems really, really wonderful. Yeah, well, I think that that's the, uh, maybe we said this before, but, you know, kind of moving with the world and playing with the world is this beautiful balance to me between spirit and technique, right? Or pick the terms that are the thing, you know, the maybe whatever, the, the classical and the romantic or whatever, but like there's this, thing of the on one side of the coin it's like all the defined things that we have or some amount of our defined things and on the other side is our wealth of experiences and who we are and our imagination and all of that and they go together and that's how we how we can dance with the world and that's how we can move through it you know and that's why to bring it to like you know your you know our your music uh, example, 
I use this one example constantly, but it's the one that fits the best to me. And like, that's why people love Nirvana. That's the Mm. thing. That's that balance between like spirit and technique, you know, but it's, it doesn't swing so hard into the technique as we always think it needs to. Right. Just enough. Just enough. Maybe it's three chords or something, (laughs) you know, but it's like, the spirit is, is the magical thing. And like, you know, you feed that through all the interactions, through all the experiences, through all the yes. Ands you're like, that's where that thing is fed. And, and without that other thing, it's like, you're, you're only prepared to like be on that flat surface in that perfectly lit space under certain circumstances in a certain way. Right. Yeah. So as far as technique goes, the just mm-hmm. enough, do you like, there's many ways to think about it, but like I've always tried to come up with standards and I've never been successful because my, my, my parameters are always moving around. But like, mm-hmm. what do you think is just enough? Like, I know it changes from person to person, but do you have like some optimal just enoughs that you would like to see people? It's a strange question. It kind of pulls us out of like, Mm-hmm. No, mystery it's, it's, realm. no, 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 but I, I'm going to answer it with a mystery question or with a, with a mystery answer. Um, because I think I mentioned it on our last chat, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. And I don't know if I'm right. This is just what I've grown to think. And I do realize that everything has to do with like kind of context as well and people being sedentary and capacities and things like that. But I still believe that there's something like this. And it's this like dynamic relationship between three categories. And this is how I would organize it. And it's uh, free play. Remember, I think I said this is one and then uh, technique is one and then maintenance is another, but like maybe under the, maybe rather than being a student that's like learning the way we learn in like a college where you go in and memorize things, which is often what I think some movement realms look like. It's like, let's go memorize the book you know, or memorize the terms and definitions only to not need most of them. Um, But if you're kind of placed in scenarios and and you learn to, you learn to learn and then you learn to kind of like reflect on that scenario a little bit, every person can walk away from these ways of playing with ideas about where they should invest time in, in the other two categories. And I'm privileged in the sense that I've gotten to do things with Ido and, and study with all these other places about strength and mobility and, and different techniques and things like that. But all that to say that like, I still think learning to play and then look at how that feeds those other two categories, because, you know, you may think, right. God, everybody should be able to do five single leg squats, but someone might play and play and play by all the different ways, you know, playful hikes and playful dances and playful fights only to realize like, um, sure. But like, you know, I, I, I think I need some, I think I need some Tai Chi and I need to learn how to do backward rolls, you know? And I think that, it, but it's always changing. I mean, that's the beauty of like, to me, that relationship is that it's dynamic and it's always evolving based on like where that's going you know, rather than kind of the, yeah. the peak mindset of always having to peek out at things. Right. Yeah. I, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of play kind of as high context, 
Mm -hmm. and technique as specific context. Mm -hmm. You know, so you enter a high context activity mm -hmm. to figure out where you're at mm -hmm. and where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So I enter a playful interaction and um, in that playful interaction, I realize it's kind of difficult for me to get down onto the floor. I'd like to get better at that. Now I can enter specific training, maybe improve my flexibility, my balance, my mobility. And now this whole other realm that I realized through a, a real experience is missing is now available to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, like, it's like learning how to tinker because we some at some point we were taught not to tinker, but I think about the things that I tinkered with as a kid where I had no book, I had no guidance, I had no video. Like I taught myself how to yo-yo and I taught myself how to do those like fire sticks. Right. And I would, you know, to this day, yeah, I'm, the devil. I'm amazing, I'm amazing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I kill it. Uh, <laughs> but it was because I watched a, a guy at a Renaissance fair the day we bought it and then never saw anyone again and I just practiced it. But I, I tinkered yeah. my way into it and I would do that thing. I'd be like, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then I'd be like, oh, I, I, it, it would be really cool if I could spin it on one stick right. and just being like, oh, I've created this task. So I did the romantic thing of just play, play, play. Then I'm going to zero in on this one little thing. And then I zoomed yeah. right back out and was like, well, how do I play now? And then integrate it in that thing but it was through like a real individual tinkering process not necessarily being like here's what you have to do because there's no have to everybody's context is so different and and you probably could have gone to a class and learned that thing super efficiently in like an hour or two but somehow the the process of discovering essentially making up physics and discovering physics creating physics in your own experience and understanding the properties of what you're dealing with is so valuable beyond this skill, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, 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 it's this a whole different way of being like the, the learning how you learn. And it, I think, feel like people say that a lot, learn how you, you know, learn to learn. Right, meta learning. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, but learn, you know, learning how you tinker. How do you tinker? Mm -hmm. How, do you, how to tinker and how you as an individual tinker. That's like, and being okay tinkering, you know, that's, that's magic. And, you know, there's so many books that talk about how like, I don't know, some of the great discoveries in science came because of like tinkering and like accidents. I forget, yeah. I think there's some story about like penicillin being like the product of like an accident or tinkering or something. Totally. You yeah, know? there's the... Um... I heard some British scientists, old school scientists saying like discoveries are made in the three B's bed, bath, or bus. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually where, well, I, I think he's talking about more about um, you do a lot of structured, mm -hmm. um, intense working on something. And then when you're relaxed is when the insight often mm -hmm. arises. Mm -hmm. Are you tinkering with anything right now? Hmm. I am tinkering with uh, with a lot of like um, partner work, like a partner. People would call it partner dance, but I'm not necessarily doing it because of the the dance piece. It's more about like a kind of like collaborative movement. Um, uh -huh. 
when you say partner, like you're talking about Argentine tango or. No, just really undefined. I mean, it, it, it comes from just okay. like partnering work that I've been exposed to by other dancers, you know, giving and receiving weight, exploring negative space, things like that. And, but doing okay. it more in like the, in the context of like, not necessarily quote, improving dancing. Although I do think if we improve listening, we probably improve dancing, but for the sake of the, the listening piece, ultimately for play. Um, so that's a newer space that I haven't spent a ton of time in, but I think there's, uh, uh, that's something that I tinker with quite a bit. Um, I tinker so much with like improvisation. I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about it. I really think that like, I think I, maybe I told you last time, I'll just make a playlist of 10 songs and, and improvise through all 10 and create Beautiful little constraints in there and sometimes those lead to meta games which then lead to like micro tinkering that happens um but it it sounds like a structure for you have have, like i've heard you mention a few times like music you put a Mm -hmm. song on Mm -hmm. and that creates a little bounded space yeah Mm -hmm. some information to play with you're playing with the the music yeah Yeah. Yeah. So I use it for like dancing. I use it because yeah, it's a space that I didn't spend much time in. And, and again, I think, uh, you know, to rewind all the way back to your first question when I was like, well, what are, what do I, you know, why do I want to make a change to my movement practice? Part of it was like, well, why can I do all these moves, but I can't dance? Why do I, why can I stand on my hands, but I move poorly on my feet, you know? So it's a time, a thing that I've, invested quite a bit of time tinkering in in ways that i can explain and in ways that i can't always explain um but yeah i think that that's a that's a place that i invest a lot of my my tinkering time in and, uh, and i'm always into the like uh being there with people and the and the what ifs like i like that i like the moments of like what if we do this what if we do that and then all of a sudden that leads to this thing of like you know like I'll be with like someone I collaborate with and be like, oh, you know, because we did all these different what ifs, I realized we should spend some time on like eyes closed. Oh, cool. And that was just a a product of like, what if, what if, what if, now we have something to tinker with. You know, the same as a juggling stick. It's like, oh, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do this? What if I try to twirl it on one stick? Oh, cool. I'm going to spend time there. You know, not just somebody immediately walking in and saying, hey, spend time right there. That's where you have to spend time. And I think that, you know, I don't know what you think, but I think as like a, as a teacher or a facilitator, it's like, it's almost like the best you can do is like bring people into like that as often as possible. And, and maybe their own tinkering starts to stick or starts to emerge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are great tools to help mm-hmm. tinker, mm-hmm. like primitive tools. Like I, I once thought of like a ball, stick and rope like those are the three primitive tools to help you discover space right it could be a vine it could be a rock it could be a stick or a staff right like Mm -hmm. you you can have them be refined or just rough but my sense is that our bodies one of the things like anthropologically that supposedly makes us a unique animal is our capacity to wield and manipulate tools 
Mm-hmm. So to a certain extent, our shape is designed to manipulate objects. And, mm-hmm. it, and I've experienced, sometimes I move more naturally, more freely and more fully when I'm doing something, when I'm holding a stick, when I'm throwing a ball or a rock, when I'm swinging. Um, somehow, you know, swinging a rope and running my gait is long and strong and it's, 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 it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, f- I feel like those three things can be really beautiful tinkering toys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's elaborations of it, you know, juggling balls and doing the devil sticks or the fire sticks or whatever, but um, playing with object manipulation and patterns and that, and that way seems to be a really great vehicle or a great portal into um, tinkering. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I feel like I'm tinkering a lot. With, with what? Hey Kyle. Hey. I lost Sorry, what, what did you what did you say you were tinkering with? Just tinkering with consciousness, tinkering mm-hmm. with my mind, you know, tinkering with like wakefulness and sleepiness and trying to stay awake right at that edge where I fall asleep and just figuring out where um, where relaxation really happens. Mm. When when can I a big, um, a big question for me, or one of the ways I, I think about solo practice, because there's group practice or practice I do with another person, the interactive play, which is beautiful. And then lately I've been kind of focusing in on solo practices, where I, which is where I started like 25 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the one of the the goals of solo practice, a nice way for me to think about it is, I want this vessel to be relaxed and ready. So at ease and able to engage in whatever is asked. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of my, my, my tinkering has to do with looking at individual pieces and figuring out how they work with the whole but a lot of it is now, um, you know, playing with how I can just enter a state of deep ease. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you how how do you play with that? How do you play with that? <laughs> um, one thing is fear. I notice fear is a really big um, presence mm-hmm. in my life. And I never knew that. I think it's always been there, but just recently I'm like, oh, wow, there's this underlying anxiety of whatever, death, da, da, da. Um, so a great way to play with fear for me is with breath play. Mm-hmm. Exhale fully, hold my breath out. At a certain point, I'm going to want to inhale. 
I ask myself to not inhale, fear, like hunger comes up and then fear comes up and panic. And so, okay, now I can inhale. And then I'll repeat that process a few times or sometimes that once is enough, you know? So I'm just trying to get familiar with these, these places where um, fear comes up. And I don't think I'm trying to get, Stephen Jenkins said in, your, in a podcast you did with him, said something interesting about getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable mm -hmm. and how that was absolutely not the right way to go about things because you're just making comfort the solution to discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's more about just encountering fear repeatedly to know and recognize where it is and what it is and how to respect it. Something like that. I don't know. I'm tinkering with it. So I have no idea. No, it's interesting. It's something, <laughs> it's something that I, I think about but, and, I, and I'm going to do my best to articulate it. Um, the idea of kind of like our, our, our kind of wish to prevent or deny certain feelings of emotions because they're the bad ones. Um, right. And as opposed to learning to be with them and it's not about comfort with them, but just knowing that they're going to, to be there and, you know, they belong because we're human, right? Whatever it is fear, embarrassment, anger, sadness, um, the ones that we, you know, people try to medicate to avoid um, that, you know, what, what does it look like when we learn to kind of like integrate them into like our, our whole experience? And I think about that a lot because in some ways, you know, maybe not in the moment, but they can be celebrated that the fact that we're having them you know, like that's, that's part of, like, that is not part of, that is what living is. It's all the life. It's the good yeah. ones and the bad ones. It's being born and it's dying. Right. You it's know? what you like and don't like, right? All of it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, there's no celebration without tragedy. Yeah. You know, so it's, I think about what you're saying there and it's a little bit of, of the playing with, with that and being like, how do I learn to welcome all aspects of like being, being a, a, a conscious being in this way? And, and yeah, that matters. And I would say it matters with like uh, moving through life playfully, right? Because, you know, surprise is not always positive. You know, surprise is negative. You know, uncertainty is not positive it's it's it can be negative and it's like you know what happens if if we land in the, those negative ones and we've all we've done is shut them off up until now or made an effort to hide from them yeah yeah i'm, I'm realizing that something that is fascinating to me about the the sphere mm -hmm. is not I think it's futile to learn how to turn fear into not fear. But what I can learn is how to move away from the physiological effects mm -hmm. that fear or trauma have on me. 
back yeah. into a place of more ease. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, just becoming more, more flexible, right? More pliable. Like my range of what I'm willing to experience mm-hmm. can increase. And sometimes it's the think- same thing as liking fear. It's like, I will, fear, I don't like it. If I start liking it, it's no longer fear. It's like an addiction, right? It's something like mm-hmm. it's more, yeah, it's more about being open to experiencing a lot. <laughs> right. Well, and it's like, uh, there's some connection with that to me with like the, the understanding or the awareness of, of greater options. You know, like when we're, when we're moving through something and we only feel one option available and, and we're afraid, that's a really challenging position to fall into. Right. You know, but when we're afraid and, you know, we've cultivated the potential for more options, we can be afraid and see many different doorways at the same time. Yeah. Um, There's choice. Yeah. Some choice. And I think that that's something, again, that aligns with like improvisation and play. It's also, you know, I think similar maybe to like what someone like uh, what Dan Siegel wrote about in, in that book, Aware. Maybe I brought that up last mm. time. But that like, you know, um, like the plane of potential or the plane of awareness where it's like where there's all the, the, the possibilities, you know, and that we're, we're kind of like limited to our stories. We're like the these um, plateaus that emerge off the plane and that's our identity and that's who we are and all these things, but playing and meditating and doing different things give us that glimpses of those valleys down there of like the plane of possibilities. So it's, uh, yeah, it's this place where, where we, where we get to see more options, see more, more routes than just the ones that are limited to our, to the stories of who we are. stories of who we are that's a nice thing to tinker with that's the best thing to tinker with that's the best thing to tinker with like the story Mm -hmm. Um, you know and one of the things that one of the realizations i had recently was in telling stories or listening to stories i tend to pick the character i relate to Mm. I'm the prince in this story, obviously, right? <laughs> I'm the king in this story. And gradually over the last few years, there's a sense of like, when I hear a story, I'm every character. It's like you've heard people say, like, you're everybody in your own dreams, right? You're not just yourself. You're all of the characters. Um, if I have a dream about you, I'm dreaming about what you represent inside of me. So in this view, it's really beautiful to to be all the players Mm -hmm. in a story and um, play around with the different perspectives. What is it like to be the gray wolf who ate this man's horse and now feels guilty and gives the man for a ride, you know? What is it like to be... kid who wakes up every morning and everything he says 
gold coin comes out of his mouth, you know? <laughs> what is it like to be jealous of this person and want that and steal it from him? But now only frogs come out of your mouth. Like I'm that person and that person all simultaneously, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, tinkering with stories. Yeah, man, I love that. I love that. I love the way you put it too. I love the way you put it. I'm not going to add anything because I really love that. <laughs> um, I know we, that you have to run in a moment. Yeah, we should wrap up. Want, do, you want, do you want to give out your phone number one more time? Yeah, I'll give out <laughs> my phone number. I'll also say I'm, I'm teaching some stuff with Rafe um, mm -hmm. this, this year. So, you know, there's a spring retreat, a fall retreat, and a uh, um, summer retreat at Evolve Move Play that people can come and check out. Rafe is an amazing teacher. Uh, Kyle's going to be there. Kyle is an incredible wilderness awareness guy. Mm -hmm. um, Rob, there's a whole team with, with Evolve Move Play. So. Uh, but yeah, my number, 857-919-0014. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so happy. It's great. Text me, call me. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's amazing. Voice messages, everything. Please.